I'm Mike Boyle, and you're listening to The Impact Show with Jim Kilbasso. Welcome to The Impact Show. Beyond training, beyond practice, this is the podcast for strength and conditioning coaches, sport coaches, personal trainers, and sports fitness entrepreneurs who want to increase the impact they have on the people around them. And now, here's your host, coach, author, and entrepreneur, Jim Kilbasso. Welcome back to the Impact Show, everybody. I am Jim Kelbasso, and today is one of our interview uh, shows, um, and I've got a really great guest on today. Before I get into that, I want to thank our sponsor, the IYCA, for supporting this podcast. Um, if you haven't gone yet to my website to get the free information that they're offering on mental training and speed and agility training, I really encourage you to go to jimkilbasso.com, find those banners, click on them. They've got some awesome stuff that they're giving away, and I really encourage you to take advantage of what they are offering. It's been very generous um, of them to give so much, and hopefully you can take advantage of that. So let's get into who our guest is Many of you are probably familiar with him, but we'll build a little bit of suspense. Um, he is a he is an Eastern or an East Coast kind of guy. Um, he ended up, he went to school at the University of New England and ended up getting his master's degree at University of Connecticut. Um, he has he, he has trained so many Major League Baseball players that um, I'm pretty sure that that everybody in Major League Baseball knows who he is, and I'm probably starting to give this away a little bit. He is the author of the book Maximum Strength. He pre has produced multiple products, including the High Performance Handbook, Assess and Correct DVD, Optimal Shoulder Performance DVD, and he's written over 500 articles in various um, places, online, offline. He speaks around the world, and he's got an incredible niche in the baseball world, and I'm really happy to have Eric Cressy with us today. Eric, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, you know what? Since I talked about the the baseball niche just now, I want to start off with that. Um, when you got into this, you know, you were you, you were a master's student, and we'll get back into that part a little bit. And you started writing articles about strength training, and people got real interested. Is that is that kind of how it began? Yeah, that's kind of how it snowballed. Um, you know, I I did my grad degree at the University of Connecticut, and um, I had done my undergrad at the University of New England, which is close to home up in Maine, and um, what was interesting about UNE was a smaller school, um, so great, you know, academic opportunities and things like that, but not a ton of opportunities to really coach people, um, you know, mm -hmm. Division three programs and really no, like, you know, big Division one type weight room that you would expect. So um, I actually applied to the University of Connecticut, actually thinking that potentially I wanted to go into research. Um, they were doing mm -hmm. a lot of great stuff with respect to exercise endocrinology and, um, you know, that side of things, supplement research, things like that. And they didn't really have even a true biomechanics lab there. It was much more focused on like, I mean, we had an environmental chamber to do, you know, heat stroke studies and things like that. But um, I got to UConn and um, I was a very passionate lifter myself. I was just getting into powerlifting and I'd, I'd done some writing across the web. I'd written for John Berardi's website and Teenage and had just gotten published in, um, in men's fitness and stuff. So that was kind of like taking off. And that was really like a hobby, a little way to make a little bit of money on the side. And it just so happened that um, one of the grad assistants at UConn was a guy named Rajesh Patel. And mm -hmm. um, when I first got to UConn, um, you know, we had, you know, common master's classes. He was doing his grad degree. I was doing there. He was a year ahead of me. And um, 
you know, he had some teams that he was in charge of. And, uh, you know, just in the process of knowing him and some of the other GAs, he's like, hey, you know, come, come on, lift in the varsity weight room. You'd be a great fit, all that stuff. So I went down and I started lifting and, and we kind of hit it off. He's like, hey, I read your articles, really liked them. And he's like, hey, why don't you come by and help me out with the baseball guys tomorrow morning? And he just kind of mm-hmm. sprung it on me one, it's probably like a Tuesday afternoon he mentioned it. I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. He's like, all right, we're at 5.30 a.m. So, it's, you know, part of me thinks it was actually kind of a test <laughs> in hindsight, like, hey, is this guy really serious about it? And I was like, yeah. I, I, it was like the perfect timing because, I mean, I was in like an organic chemistry class with like 270 undergrad students because I had never taken an undergrad. And, you know, that yeah. was a, ta- a class you had to take if you wanted to go down the real research route. Um, and I went in and I, I watched Rajesh do his thing at like 5.30 a.m. with those guys and I was totally hooked. Um, it was uh, it was pretty astounding how much of, um, you know, an impact he had on them and how he controlled the room and just, uh, you know, what he meant to those guys. And, and literally, I, I remember it was a defining moment in my career. And, you know, Brajesh and I are good friends to this day. And he's at Quinnipiac now and, and doing an unbelievable job there. And, um, you know, I was I was waiting to be sold on a career, you know, and he mm-hmm. really did it in a heartbeat there. What's funny is, um, you know, Brajesh literally just like I think a couple weeks after that was offered um, a job at Holy Cross. So he moved on and finished his grad degree from afar. And, um I, luckily, I got my foot in the door in time, so I got to spend a lot of time with some great college strength conditioning coaches at University of Connecticut. Um, you know, the late Jerry Martin was was really in charge and handled football, and um, so I got to observe a little bit in there. But really, the guys that or the, the people that took me under their wing the most um, were Chris West, who's still at UConn, and Chris, you know, at the time um, after Andrew Huyu left and he took over basketball. I mean, the he had men's and women's basketball and men's and women's soccer, so he had four number one teams in the country in his weight room at UConn. Wow, and then. Wow. Tina Murray, um, who was at UConn and is now director of Olympic sports at Louisville. Um, Tina was also really influential. She, she took me under her wing, really gave me a lot of opportunities, a lot of autonomy to help out. And, um, just those two years, I mean, I, I went there thinking I was going to be a, a researcher. And in fact, my grad assistantship was funded by the U S army to, to look at potential countermeasures to prevent stress fractures in female basic training recruits. And instead, two years later, I really left loving coaching. Um, and that really set me up on this path. But the funny thing about UConn is I really didn't even work with baseball that much while I was there. I had a little <laughs> bit of exposure to it, but I spent a lot more time with probably basketball and soccer, um, some with field hockey. And it just so happened that when I left UConn, um, and I wound up in the private sector. Some of the first guys I started working with were baseball players. Um, I had a bunch of shoulder issues myself from my tennis career growing up. Um, and so I took a big interest in it and shoulder eventually, you know, kind of led into learning about the elbow a lot, being around it and it just snowballed. So high school guys became college guys, college guys became pro guys, pro guys had teammates and agents and things like that. So, you know, here we are basically a, a decade later and we're training guys from all 30 major league organizations and, and really enjoying it. So, so that totally kind of sets up what I wanted to talk to you about, which was essentially like creating a brand and developing a niche. Yeah. And nowadays, it seems like everybody's talking about, oh, you got a niche. You got to have a niche. And uh, when I talk to a lot of young people, our interns and students that I that I interact with, you know, I I even talk about that. But a lot of times I say, you know, you may not know what your niche is yet. It may kind of develop. So. It sounds like that's what happened to you. You didn't you didn't intentionally go out 10 or 15 years ago and say, I am going to create a baseball niche. It sounds like it, right? it happened largely by accident. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think there are definitely 
uh, I think there are people that are certainly forcing it. It can be a tremendous thing. And I, and I absolutely do see the industry going in that direction, particularly as, I mean, you look at what's happening. I mean, I saw the first subpectoral biceps tenodesis in major league history. That was a surgery that they really started doing. You know, Kurt Schilling was the first guy in the history of major league baseball to have it. Um, like, so you look at scenarios like that, like we have new surgeries, like they were doing, they're doing femoral acid tabular impingements and giving them out like their candy right now. Those surgeries that wasn't around 30 years ago. Like, so mm-hmm. we're, we're evolving pretty dramatically both, you know, physiologically, but also, you know, in the context of how we, we treat different sporting events and things like that. So you're going to see more of the, you know, the Jim Cabasco's working with football guys, you know, the, the Mike Boyle's working with hockey, the Mike Robertson's working with soccer. That's the direction I see this going. Um, with that said, it's really, really hard to force these things because there are a lot of things you have to realize. You have to realize, you know, it's important to be passionate about something beyond just monetary gains. Um, so as an example, I did a little bit of NBA combine prep towards the end of my UConn experience. So I had some, some time in it. And when I got into the baseball world, um, you know, what basically happens is you're swamped from, you know, effectively like the second week in September all the way up until the first week in March. And then you have basically six weeks to gather your thoughts before you start getting going with your summer guys. So um, I've had some agents who represent baseball players whose agency also have basketball players and football guys. And they've asked me, hey, would you be interested in doing NBA combine prep or NFL combine prep? And literally that would be walking away from, you know, the four weeks of quiet that I get each year. Yeah, so you have yeah. to be passionate about it, but you have to be passionate about beyond just monetary gains. Because if I try to be everything to everybody, it doesn't work. Um, our baseball guys, I think in large part, appreciate us even more because they don't see a bunch of 350 pound offensive linemen walking around. And I don't look like a guy who could go play linebacker in the NFL. So you have to be able to to want it for more than just monetary stuff. You also have to be willing to pass up on opportunities in other realms because you can't be 110% on everything. Nobody can read all the journal articles on pitching injuries and this, that, and the other. And on top of that, be on top of, you know, how the NFL, the NHL, all those things are changing too. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. I think you also have to be good at it. You know, like shoulders and elbows can be really, really complex. Um, I'm a very good shoulder and elbow guy. I'm terrible when it comes to foot and ankle. I mean, it's the most complex part of the body. And, you know, I remember thinking back to gross anatomy and how much I stumbled with that. Like, I probably wouldn't be a good foot and ankle physical therapist. So um, you have to be able to acquire the information easily to really kind of, uh, you know, I guess, take over a niche. Um, you know, it has to be substantial or sustainable. You know, like you, you're, you're probably not going to have a, an incredible uh, hockey development program in Mexico. You know, it's just <laughs> you, people have to realize that as well. So, I mean, that was something that we wrestled with is, hey, can we build this? you know, baseball training Mecca in Hudson, Massachusetts. Um, and, you know, we didn't really know whether that would be possible. We had to test the waters. And, you know, like I said, high school guys became college guys and college guys became pro guys. And then we ultimately decided that we could expand our reach by going to, to Florida. Um, you know, I think your business model has to be able to accommodate it. Um, you know, it's hard to really grow a specific niche if maybe you can't outfit your facility to accommodate it. You walk into our facility in Massachusetts, we've got two big tunnels for, for like long toss and, throwing off the mound, doing video analysis, stuff like that. If we didn't have that, it's going to be a lot harder to cater to baseball players. So I, I just think it's really important to be versatile, have a good foundational skill set and all that stuff, but you can't force those things. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the other thing is it's, it's really hard if you're not one of the first to market. Like we were probably the first people to really be like, hey, listen, we do very specific baseball strength and conditioning. We, we effectively, you know, as much as I'm, the term's overused, we bridge the gap between rehab and high performance. That's what you need for baseball. So 
you know, what it's really hard to appreciate is if someone wants to come to Massachusetts and try to compete with us in the context of like training baseball players, it's a challenge because we're very well connected. You know, if you have an elbow issue, we can get you in with an elbow specialist that afternoon if we want to. We know who the best physical therapists are. Um, you know, we, we can we can get guys that come from out of town batting practice passes if they want to go and be on field at Fenway before a Red Sox game. Like we can deliver a quality experience that goes with the expertise. And then while they're here, chances are they're rubbing elbow with a, with a big, big, big league baseball player in the office. So it's mm-hmm. it, from a business standpoint, um, it's very, very hard to compete with us in the baseball. And it's just because we've, we were one of the first to market and we've really worked hard to stay on top of things and really nurture that presence nationwide. You know, you you go all over the place talking about this stuff, too. And, you know, from my interactions with you, you put it all out there, too. Like you talk about exactly what you're doing with guys and you're really trying to educate people. Do you ever feel like, hey, I'm going to eventually educate myself right out of a job because I'm going to create competition elsewhere? Or, you know, because I think your reach is larger than just in Massachusetts. You know, obviously you've expanded to Florida, but you do a lot, uh, you know, a lot of your business stuff is speaking and education and all that. Do you ever feel like, you know, you're, you're essentially teaching your way out of the job? You know, I don't, um, you know, I think one of the things that you really look at is, uh, nobody really trains with Cressy sports performance, I I guess, uh, uh, programming or the experience, unless they're actually at the facility. Like we've had guys Mm -hmm. who have come and spent time with us and then, you know, we watched over them from afar and then maybe in subsequent offices, they come and actually spent full time with us. And then they've, they've commented on, you know, what a dramatic difference is. I mean, certainly there are, um, you know, there's a lot to be gained from coming in, spending some time and then doing it on your own. But there, there's no substitute for being at the facility, getting access to the expertise and seeing really how the synergy all works together in place. Um, and the other thing is I, I, I don't worry about like teaching myself out of a job. Um, you know, I think one of the things that's really important if you want to grow your business is you have to give. Uh, potential customers and, you know, current customers, different ways of perceiving your expertise. So if, if you really look at like CSP, you know, every business has, you know, lead generation and lead conversion issues, right? So for us, if you reach out to us, whether you email, you call, you show up to the office to inquire about our services, we have like a 99% conversion rate, meaning overall majority of people really want to come in and train with us and they just need to get the details and schedule and evaluation. Yeah. Um, yeah. So really our bottlenecks are far more about lead generation. If you show up in the office and you see signed jerseys on the wall, you know, articles in Baseball America that are framed, you know, you, you see a big league, you're eating desk at my business, uh, eating lunch at my business partner's desk, like it kind of sells itself. Um, but what I think is, is really important is you have to give people other opportunities to perceive your expertise. And it's, it's a very crowded world now. It's, you know, Twitter, Facebook, stumble upon Instagram, all these different ways that people can hear about you. It's not just like billboard TV and radio and newspaper like it used to be. So, um, I found, you know, that I, I, when I, the more I speak, the more clients we pick up. Um, you mm-hmm. know, like I've spoken the American Baseball Coaches Association Convention, which is, you know, four to 5,000 coaches. I did that in 2012 and 2014. And literally both times we spoke of that, we got, a, you know, several referrals in a matter of weeks from the college coaches and high school coaches that were in attendance. Um, so I, I think it's a very good lead generation tool. Um, and I think it also keeps you abreast of what's going on in the industry. As you go to an event like that and you get questions from from coaches or other trainers who, you know, who are struggling with stuff. And that's the stuff that gives me ideas for blog content, but also makes me realize, Hey, you know, maybe we need to figure out a better way of teaching this, this, or this. So, um, I don't, I don't worry about it. Um, but by that same token, I'm an internal optimist. I'm, I'm like the ultimate giver. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that could come back to bite me in the butt, but who knows? <laughs> I don't think, I don't think so. <laughs> um, 
So what is it that you do differently that makes you, you know, so special? Is it really that you're training people differently and you have the expert knowledge or is it more about the relationships you develop and, um, and that you're showing these guys, uh, how much you care beyond just, you know, fixing their elbow? I think it really is, uh, probably a little bit of both or a lot of both, I should say. Um, I think from a, a pure, like, evaluation programming thing. I think one of the things, and this is, this is shocking, like where we've been able to differentiate ourselves is really just giving good individualized programs. Um, mm. You'd be shocked at how many professional athletes, you know, go to facilities, pay a boatload of money, and they literally all do the same program off the same dry erase board. Um, it's like stunning to me um, that that still happens, but it does. And, you know, you look at a sport like, like baseball, I mean, and there's old research that shows like 57% of pitchers go on the disabled list with a shoulder injury every year. Like if, if you're going to say that 57 wow. out of 100 guys every year, or they don't go on the disabled list, but they have some kind of shoulder issue every year. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to say that 57 out of every 100 guys has pain each year, you're, you're going to really tell me that Every single one of them is for the exact same reason. When we know that if I evaluate 100 pitchers, I'm going to have loose guys. I'm going to have tight guys. I'm going to have guys with military posture. I'm going to have guys that are super abducted, shoulders that are depressed, shoulders that are elevated. Um, you know, they're going to all present slightly different in terms of their structural pathology. Like these guys are actually dramatically different. Um, so, you know, what do we see? We see a, an industry that's like, oh, I have the position players workout and the pitchers workout. I'm like, Honestly, like I, I do think so dramatically different than that from an assessment and a programming standpoint that I, I treat everybody like they're a blank slate when they walk in. And I think the athletes really appreciate that. And I'll give you an example. We have a, a pro guy. Well, I won't go into details about him or his organization. Let's just say he signed for quite a bit of money. Um, okay. Normally when an athlete signs for very good money, um, teams will do MRIs, x-rays, things like that because they want to make sure they're protecting their investment. So if it's a pitcher, they're going to look at shoulder, they're going to look at elbow, um, you know, we had, we had a pitcher who, was, who signed a pretty good free agent deal recently um, who had actually fractured his hand, punching his buddy, screwing around in high school. <laughs> and they, they actually they actually uh, x-rayed his hand just to make sure the fracture had healed well, you know, 10 years later. And there was no problem there. But most of them are very, very on top of things. There's this one organization that they gave this guy a bunch of money. And he literally has a completely absent infraspinatus. So his largest cu- rotator muscle, yeah. there's just this huge divot on the back of his shoulder blade. Completely gone. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, it's there. It's just heavily okay. attributed. So what you, you see that very commonly in guys who have like suprascapular cyst and just like the nerve innervation to the, the muscle isn't good enough. So it atrophies over the course of time. And I remember taking a video of it and talking about with the evaluation with the guy. And he's like, yeah, um, they never did a physical exam and they never did MRIs or x-rays. He's like, I've been in the organization three years and they haven't seen me with my shirt off yet. <laughs> well, it's like, wow. it's like stunning to me. And we, we think that you know, major league baseball, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I love baseball. I watch it every night. I'm, I'm absolutely addicted. It's, it's, it made my career. You know, we want to say that like billions of dollars are wasted on injuries on a regular basis. And you want to say that, Hey, they're, they're looking to tie up every loose end and leave no stone unturned and stuff like that. But like stuff like this literally is happening. And what you have to ask yourself is like, we talk about like, if you take a, an eight year old kid, right. Who's never lifted weights in his life and you bring him in the gym and you let him just do some brutal technique and you spend the next 10 years just loading that technique up with plenty of extra weight and you reinforce all those faulty movement patterns. You, you load dysfunction. I mean, you guys have all read Gray Cook stuff and see what he talks about. He's like, what's that guy going to look like in, you know, five, six, seven, eight years. Like, He's going to be a stress fracture in his low back. He's going to be a slap tear. He's going to be a, from the last tab, he's going to be something. 
and and that's really happening heavily in baseball is that guys mm. are just not being evaluated correctly. They're not being programmed for correctly. They're not being treated as individuals. Um, and I think, you know, we do that in the private sector. So it, it, it definitely, uh, you know, has, has allowed us to grow our business really, really well. Um, and don't get me wrong. There are some organizations that do a fantastic job. There are others that don't. Um, but I think, you know, ultimately guys, you know, want you to want to know that you understand their unique needs. Um, so we try to deliver that. I think there's also something to be said about being in the private sector where guys are not forced to work with you. I'm sure it'd be entirely different if I was working in an organization where guys were, you know, mandated that they work with me. You're not going to get the same level of adherence and things like that. Um, but your second point, the culture is a big part of this. Um, you know, I want guys to really push each other an atmosphere where, you know, it's easy to go to work every day because at the end of the day, it is work. You know, it's not easy. There are a lot of guys that would probably rather stay in bed, but when you know there's a good crew of guys and they're having a good time, the music's loud, energetic, and everybody's pushing each other to get better. Um, things do work a lot better. And it's funny, we have a guy named Oliver Drake who uh, made his major league debut with the Orioles last year. And Oliver actually coined the term um, CP family years ago. Um, you just said, hey, this is like a family atmosphere. I mean, we had kangaroo court, we had ping pong table, athlete lounge, all that stuff. And so you'd see guys that would literally early in our business, they'd, they'd come and they'd train at like noontime and they'd hang out in the office from like two to seven PM. They'd eat like two meals sitting at the front desk with my business partner. It was like mm -hmm. you know, a running thing. And obviously we've, we've rebranded a little bit. We're CSP instead of CP. But, um, you know, I think the, the environment and the culture really is held true. So, you know, maybe it's the expertise that brings them in, but it's the family that, that keeps them. Are there certain things that you make a conscious effort to do? Like you talked about when you were able to watch Brzezesh do, uh, do some coaching. You said you could really see the impact he made on people. And then you watched Chris and you watched all these people really making an impact beyond just sets and reps and, and coaching technique and stuff. Um, are there things that you do, you know, you make a, a real effort to do to make sure that guys know that you care like above and beyond just programming? Absolutely. Um, you know, and I think there are a lot of things. One of the things that's interesting, and this might maybe lead into my response, is so sure. we've we've had over 130 interns since 2007 um, between our wow. two facilities. So um, one of the things that we've had to do is streamline the educational process. So when our mm -hmm. interns roll in on day one, they have already been through a 10-week online course. They've they've gone through an mm -hmm. 800 exercise database. They go through two to three internship like in services a week over that entire period of time. Like literally, they've gone through multiple college courses or the equivalent of it before they even step foot and get their New Balance gear on day one and, you know, start to interact with stuff. So we want them to hit the ground running. And the last in-service that they watch is a presentation I did. It's called 20 Ways to Build Rapport on a Client's First Day. I mean, it's everything it. from basic stuff to like be on time, learn the client's name and use it as much as possible, show a genuine interest in their history and their goals, you know, make it about them, not you. Um, you know, it clearly uh, portray expectations. Um, you know, what should they expect on the first day thereafter? Um, you know, we emphasize, hey, don't talk badly about any competition we have. It's all about what we do well. Um, there's just there's so many things that I want. Um, I want mm -hmm. them to realize that this is a very professional environment. And I think one of the things that you and I realize that a lot of the young strength and conditioning coaches out there don't realize is like, let's be honest. Everyone out there wants to and inherently does label us as meatheads until we prove them otherwise, right? We're all a bunch of guys who, you know, we went the phys ed route because we were too dumb to be lawyers or accountants or whatever it was. And I, I know that's a terrible generalization, but you have to appreciate what other people are thinking of us. Hey, this guy wanted to wear sweatpants to work. He didn't want to have a real job. And we know that's not the case. And we know the profound impact that we have on people's lives. 
but we still have to do everything we possibly can to reaffirm our professionalism in the eyes of the potential clients. And I think that's one way that, that we do it is we, you know, we take care of all these things like being on time and using people's names and making them feel like they're genuinely part of something much bigger than themselves. Um, so, you know, the evaluation should be educational, not just boring. You know, I'll often throw Camtasia, you know, the, the recording software up after I do an evaluation. I might video their scapular movement and talk to them about, hey, here's how this moves. Here's what we're looking for. You know, and then I'll send them a recording of it so they can study it. Um, maybe I'll call their agent and give them feedback on what we saw or something like that. It, it goes a really, really long way. So um, there's just a million ways to reaffirm your expertise in people's eyes. And you need to figure out, just like we understand um, you know, how to, whether an athlete is a visual learner or a kinesthetic learner or an auditory learner, we also need to figure out how is it that we, you know, kind of convey our expertise to them. Some of them might not care absolutely at all about hearing, you know, big scientific words or watching videos or evaluation. They might just want to be like, Hey, give me the program. I'll go do it. And if that's the case, that's totally fine. There are other guys that are, I mean, I have athletes that are like exercise science grads and things like that. And they want to learn about how their body works. So you really have mm -hmm. people on the first day to give them the best experience you can. Yeah, you know, I, I've noticed that some guys, they don't really want to learn. They they want you to kind of smash them, and that's how yeah. they're going to buy into what you're doing. But other guys, they don't want to get smashed. They want to hear what you're going to have, you know, what you have to say, and they really want to ask a lot of questions. So you really do have to individualize it. Exactly. Um, is that something that you kind of uh, – that you've seen interns and young people coming through struggle with, all those things that you – you know, those, those, what'd you say it was 20 ways to build rapport yeah. to you? Those are like, duh, you know, they're, they're of course. nature at this point, you know? Yeah. But do you find that to a lot of people, it just, it, it's not in them. It's hard for them to do those things. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think everyone has certain things that they do well and things that they struggle mm -hmm. with. Like as I look back on myself early in my career, I, I talked too much. Um, you know, I was a guy who, who didn't know how to give, you know, clear, concise coaching cues. I was a guy who mumbled, probably said too many words. And looking mm -hmm. back, I probably confused some guys. And nowadays, I know how to streamline it, use as many, as few questions as possible. I, I'm much more selective with what I do. So um, I, I think, you know, there, there are things like that that you, you do acquire and get better at. But there are also things that are, uh, you know, that, that predate us, right? So, you know, we might get guys and we've been in the industry for, you know, decade plus at this point. Um, and then we get a 23 year old intern or something like that who's, you know, getting their first job. If you don't know that it's important to be on time and like shower before you come to work and not look disheveled and things like that. If you don't know that by age 23, that's, that's a big red flag. You know what I mean? That's going <laughs> to, that's going to stick with you for a long time. And there's a good chance you're going to wind up living in your parents' basement. So, um, you know, that side of things I think is really, uh, <laughs> Those things are hard to fix, you know, and I always talk about when I look at hiring, we, we hire for, for really two reasons, right? There's competency and there's fit. So we can really make anybody competent. I, I'm confident that if I, if I picked any one of my athletes or former interns and they said, hey, you know what? I want to get into NFL combine prep. If I sent them over to hang out with you and they, it might take them a year or two, it might take however long, you could teach them to be very proficient coaches in your system, right? So, I, I think the same could be said of any intern here. I can teach you what you need to know to be successful as a coach. The fit part is really hard um, mm -hmm. because on the fit side, that, that's where internships are huge. You get to evaluate not just their competency, which you're largely teaching, but you get to evaluate 
how they fit in with your culture. Um, you know, are they the kind of guy that gets along really well with all the staff? So, you know, you don't have to deal with a bunch of human resources drama. Are they someone that the clients really like seek out? You know, they ask about them. Um, like we had Miguel Garagoncillo was one of our interns in the fall of 2012. And after he finished his internship, went back down, he worked with Kevin Neald in Philadelphia or near there. And, um, you know, was helping out in some different capacities. And when we had an opening, um, you know, in the fall of 2014, when I was really moving down to Florida to start the facility there, I went to our staff and I was like, Hey guys, who's your guy? And like, everyone's like, Miguel, we want Miguel. Like, so mm-hmm. we give our, our staff like this opinion, like we give them the right. So they pick their, their coworkers. Um, and the same thing happened. We hired Nancy Newell after her internship this past summer. Like I want our staff to really feel like they're invested in the process. And that way, if for some reason we have a hire that doesn't work out, I can be like, you know, you guys pick them. But um, there's something to be said about that. And we also had clients that were like, they adored Nancy and they love Miguel. Like Miguel's the guy that'll bust out break dancing on the floor, like just knows <laughs> how to like create the energy. So like um, there's really something to be said about giving your clients and your staff and ownership uh, in the whole like process. So um, it's really hard to teach fit. You you have to evaluate fit. And that's why internships can be so awesome. And honestly, why we, we really hire exclusively from our, our intern pool. I, I absolutely love that. I, I've said that a million times yeah. to our staff. I'd, I'd rather hire the right personality and teach them how to do things yeah. than than hire somebody with a bunch of knowledge that just doesn't work well with us. So exactly, I think that was a Richard Branson, like the competency and fit thing. I mean, he's he's done pretty well for himself. So he's yeah, he's done. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it, you know, hire good people and then train them to be successful and and all that. And you know, it's it's so amazing to see different people um, when you give them uh, like a growth mindset and you give them the autonomy what they can do. Like like Stacy Lear is our office manager here in Massachusetts. And I mean, I think a lot of people look at it as like a front desk position. Like she has taken that position and made it into so much more. Like, you know, I mean, she organizes toy drives in the office at Christmas. She's busting our athletes chops on Twitter about different things and, you know, decorating the office for holidays. And like, there's just so much more that goes into like creating an experience, um, like stuff you can't even really appreciate until you're, you've been around it. It's not just like, Hey, take attendance and answer the phone. Like she really has like revolutionized the position and become like a, a, an invaluable cog in the wheel. I mean, that's a lesson to anybody, like yeah. become, become a person that's so valuable yeah. to an organization that they just can't, they can't get rid yeah. of you. Be so good. You know, they I, can't ignore you. That's the yeah. that's a great book, by the way, Cal Newport. So good. They can't ignore you. My, my recommended reading. Excellent. Uh, excellent advice there. So you also have a, a super entrepreneurial spirit about you, but, um, you know, you've written a lot of things and produced all these, uh, different products and you go speaking, but you also, at some point we're smart enough to say, um, you know, I want to, I want to do this with somebody that that's their main focus. And you somehow joined up with Pete Dupuy, um, through, you know, I, I don't even know how exactly it happened. So maybe you can tell us about yeah. that. And, uh, how has that helped you, um, in your, in your entire professional growth? Yeah, absolutely. So it's funny, Pete and I actually were randomly assigned freshman year roommates at Babson college. Um, oh my God. so we actually were both going there to play soccer. Um, neither of us wound up playing soccer, but we wound up becoming, uh, paired up roommates. And it's funny, we were, there were three of us in a double. So it was a pretty small room. <laughs> um, our third roommate, um, actually was from the United Arab Emirates and he is a higher up with, um, with Uber in Dubai now. Like we still 
Wow. Uh, super successful guy. But what's funny is Babson, um, and I stayed through my sophomore year um, and went up transferring. Pete stuck it out and then actually did his MBA there. Um, Babson is, is well known as kind of like the number one entrepreneurial school in the world. I mean, oh. they've kicked out all these people over and over again. And I always had an entrepreneurial experience. Like I, I bought a racket string machine and worked at a tennis club and used to string rackets on top of my normal hourly wage and you know made money in high school doing that. So I've kind of always awesome. had that in the back of my head. I went to Babson thinking I was going to be an accountant and really kind of caught the exercise science bug a little bit later on. Um, but with that said, you know, P and I, there's something to be said about, um, you know, I think you have to know somebody and you have to like someone before you can trust them. You know, when a guy like Pete, I, I knew him as a, as a close friend. I mean, we've probably been to a hundred Red Sox games, you know, over the years together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've been on vacation together. Like we have this, you know, clear message of, you know, being on the same page and knowing what we want for the brand. So when it came time to open, he was the perfect guy because his skill set really complemented mine perfectly. Um, I was very much a technician. I was very entrepreneurial. I wasn't really a good manager of people. Um, and I'm still, I don't think, a very good manager of people. I, I, I work hard to improve it, but I have a long way to go. Um, he, on the other other hand is doesn't have a technical bone in his body like if we put him out on the training floor like he could probably coach foam rolling and that's about it um <laughs> but he is a, he's actually a fantastic manager he's always on top of reading that stuff and knows how to put people in positions so they can be successful and he from an entrepreneurial standpoint he's not as much of the idea guy he, he does have good ideas what he is he's kind of the, he pumps the brakes on my ideas and that's mm-hmm. a really important thing that a lot of people don't realize is i'm the like i said the eternal optimist i'm the dreamer i'm the idea guy who's waking up at three in the morning staring off in a blackness coming up new ways to to grow our business and do things differently and better he's the guy that you know basically pumps the brake a little bit when i bring the idea in the next morning and says well that's a good idea but is it feasible what do we have to look at so you always want those people who are like your your checks and balances who maybe mm-hmm. when you're the optimist they're the cynic you know who you need a devil's advocate so um we complement each other really really well and um you know one of the things that probably is a, an awesome lesson is i never uh, appreciated pete on the level that I should have until I went to Florida and saw mm. what he did with our Massachusetts facility is you, you, you always want to get better and better at delegating to people that you know are really competent and able to do things well, but you never really do it until you're forced to. And I literally mm-hmm. left the state. So uh, I moved to Florida on September 4th, 2014. Um, and it was kind of like a, you know, one of those like, all right, is this the right move? You know, we're dropping everything. My wife's six and a half months pregnant with twins. Like, oh, let's, <laughs> let's throw a bunch of crap on the wall and see what sticks. So I left and uh, our business did 35% growth in 2014 with me not being here for the last four months. And he texted me like January 2nd with that number. And I was like, man, you should have fired me a long time ago. <laughs> um, and obviously like that was unreasonable growth. It was something that's you know, probably going to happen. We don't know whether me leaving attenuated it or whether it was something else we did, whatever it was, the, the point is managing that kind of growth was challenging in itself, let alone like instigating it. So um, I really appreciate just how awesome Pete was at his job once I stepped aside. So um, what's cool is coming back now is, is I know what he's really like capable of and how you know well-oiled this machine is. So I can focus on a lot more of the high-level business concept, doing a lot of lead generation stuff, focusing on my one-time consults and not as much of the day-to-day stuff. So it's it's given me a new appreciation for when I'm back here for those four, four and a half months of, of what we can really do to keep growing our business and, and more importantly, delivering a really good training experience to our clients. So um, kind of a good lesson that I accidentally learned. What, what are some of the things that when you went down there and opened up in Jupiter that you really struggled with? Yeah, I mean, I think 
one of the things is it was a good back to roots experience about what early stage entrepreneurship is, right? Mm-hmm. So at all our facilities in Massachusetts, there never had to been any demolition side of things. And not only that, we had never really put up or taken down walls. So uh, pulling permits really wasn't an issue in the past. Um, down there, we were doing some pretty hefty stuff. I mean, we, we went from... Uh, Effectively, what we did is we took over four separate bays that were between 1,800 and 2,000 square feet apiece, and we turned them into one 7,700 square foot bay, which required us to knock down three walls, raise a bunch of drops, drop ceilings. And so it, it was very, very expensive to mm-hmm. get off the ground between demolition and renovation. Um, but just beyond that, the, the town of Jupiter actually has a lot of um, very specific like built planning and zoning board requirements. Um, like So we had to you know, we paid a land use attorney to help make sure that, you know, we weren't going to impact traffic patterns or our parking was going to be sufficient. There was going to be no impact on wildlife in the area. Um, mm. so there's that side of things. We had to, um, you know, go through town council. They have a special exemption application that anything over 2,500 square feet has to go through just to make sure you're okay on that. So that process took like five months and cost a lot of money. Um, so you're, you're looking at pretty substantial cash outlay for something you wouldn't have to do if you just found a ready-made space. And we just couldn't find one down there, even though we knew that was the area we wanted to be in. So you deal with that. But I think also you just deal with, you know, the early stages of a business where you, you know, inherently, um, you know, you're trying to sort out everybody's roles and figure out who's going to be the entrepreneur, who's going to be the technician, who's going to be the manager and, um, you know, that side of things. And what was also unique is my business partners, Brian and Shane, um, you know, those guys already had a successful business down there. They were a smaller space. They were kind of mm. teaming and ready to get out of it into a larger space. So those guys had an existing business. And then I had an existing business here. So we were basically going to take their business and fold it into our business model and then throw in a bunch of pro guys and my one-time consults to create this, you know, kind of overarching theme. And what's hard is you're combining two cultures and it, nobody, mm. nobody's not well-intentioned or anything like that. You just have to figure out how things are going to run. Um, it'd be no different if you took like an Equinox and tried to combine it with a planet fitness. Like it's just going to be some, some weird dynamics. Mm-hmm. And that's what the first couple of months were really about. So the expertise was there, you know, the coaching capabilities were there, the facility was pristine and brand new and all that stuff. But it took some time to, to really sort things out in that regard. And then, you know, you mix in the long hours and, you know, all the surprises that come with, uh, you know, with opening a new facility. And, you know, that's just the nature of it. You know, the roof's going to leak sometimes and, you know, there's these things that are going to come up. But, um, you know, that's that's why if it, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Absolutely. Well, you know, you've, you've put in all this work and you talked about, you know, waking up in the middle of the night with these ideas. What is it? inside you, uh, and I don't know how much you've examined it, that really drives you and, and motivates you? Do you, have a, do you have a mission in life or anything like that? You know, it's, it's really a, an awesome question, and I think it's a hard one to answer because things change so dramatically. Like, if you would ask Eric Cressy pre-kids in 2013 versus, you know, what I am now with 17-month-old twin daughters, like, that changes pretty dynamically. So uh, I don't know that I can tell you exactly what our 10-year our plan. Like our girls are, like I said, 17 months old. By you know age four or five, we're going to have to really figure out where they go to school. Right now, we have two houses in two states um, with two businesses, two daughters. Like there's, there's a lot going on. So we're in Florida eight months out of the year and in Massachusetts four. Ultimately, we're going to have to probably pick one to figure out where they go to school and all that. And a lot of it really is dictated by what happens over the next three years. Um, I think one of the things that um, I enjoy being challenged and I want to continue to be challenged. And what's good about being challenged, I think, is that you can get challenged in a lot of different contexts in your life, right? I mean, parenthood is a challenge. Marriage is a challenge. Um, entrepreneurship is a challenge. Athletics are a challenge. So like uh, that was one thing that I saw is my powerlifting career. I kind of retired in December of 2007 in my last meet. And 
but the reason I retired is because entrepreneurship was required a lot of my time, my attention. And mm-hmm. I was, you know, marrying Anna and about to start a family and all this stuff. So, you know, I, I didn't have the three days to leave town to weigh in and lift and do that and the other. It's not that I'm not passionate about lifting, but I shifted my focus elsewhere. So I think um, as long as I'm continuously challenged, whether that's in writing, consulting, speaking, parenting, you know, being a being a business director or manager or something like that, um, I don't know. Uh, so I, I think that's probably a good lesson for a lot of people out there is everyone thinks that they should have this pristine, um, you know, five, 10 year plan, you know, when I, 10 years ago, like if you look back at me in 2006, I was, you know, just kind of wrapping up my grad degree and trying to decide whether I was going to go to the college sector or go to the private sector. I would, I never imagined owning a facility. So whenever I start, you know, thinking about the future too much, I always try to look a decade back and be like, yeah, you had no idea you were going to be here. So, um, <laughs> so I don't have a good answer for you. I'd be willing to bet that if I asked you the same question, you wouldn't know either. So it makes me probably feel a little bit that <laughs> is in fact the answer. Well, you know, some, as I listen, listen to you talk, it seems like something that you're very good at and maybe you haven't even recognized is I think a lot of people, like you said, they get locked into a plan and they hit, you know, the old adage, if you don't, you know, if you don't, uh, plan, whatever it is, it, what, how yeah, does it go? If you, plan if you don't, plan to fail. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. There you go. But, but really being open to, you know, the opportunities has kind of been your entire career. You know, you didn't mean to get into strength and conditioning, but when Brajesh asked you to come in, you were open to it. When you, um, uh, you, you know, you had, you had opportunities to, to do baseball and it's not like you planned on it, but yeah. once you, once it was there, you like capitalized on it. And the whole thing in Jupiter, it seems like you're, um, kind of at peace with, you know, kind of waiting for things to happen a little bit yeah. instead of forcing them. And that can be a blessing and a curse. Um, sure. You know, I think it, it can be, it can be good because uh, sometimes maybe you're a little bit more open-minded to, to sit back and try to be an early adopter when you see these things that come onto your plate. Um, I think it's really, I'm not great with scheduling. Like I drive my wife bonkers with you know, being <laughs> home too. 10 minutes later and stuff like that, because invariably in entrepreneurship, something always comes up and that's something I'm working really hard to get better at. Um, but you know, one of the things that I think is important is no matter what you do in your life, if you're going to do it successfully, there has to be systems to it. You have to look at everything from parenting to the way you run your business to all this stuff is that, you know, how do I set it up such that, uh, you know, if I get hit by a bus today, there are systems in place that make it easy for somebody else to take the baton mm-hmm. from me. So, I mean, in, in terms of systems, you do that by making sure that your, you know, your kids are disciplined and things like that. And, you know, that they don't think it's okay to throw food to the dog while they're eating and this, that, and the other. So, mm-hmm. But in the context of business, um, you don't allow people to be like, Hey, I'm just taking tomorrow off, you know, when they've already got tons of stuff scheduled where they make their problems, somebody else's. So systems I think are very, very important. Um, and it, it's hard because often that means holding people around you accountable to things. It means holding yourself accountable to a standard of, um, you know, how things have to be done. But um, I think that's one thing that we we have done well and we're continuing to do better is, you know, systematize our things so that, um, you know, everything kind of the trains run on time wherever we are. You know, I guess another thing I kind of want to ask you is how do you learn? Yeah. Like what, what's your what's your process? Because you you know you learned a lot about baseball stuff yeah. and shoulders and elbows, but you also have learned a lot about business. And yeah. uh, what do you have a process to that, or is it just you just uh, naturally curious? I think uh, I'm spoiled to be around some really good people on a daily basis. Um, you know, like uh, just having our staff, 
you know, who, who pushes us and asks questions and, and interacts with a lot of people. But, um, you know, that's changed a lot over the years. It's gone in a million different directions, you know, with respect to, um, you know, I've had access to physical therapists like Mike Reinald, Eric Schoenberg, mm-hmm. like those mm-hmm. people have been great mentors. Like obviously there, there's more information available online with webinars and audiobooks and this, that, and the other. So like those, I think makes things, I think it was an Albert Mule the other day said something, you know, people have no idea how good they have it. There's so much information right at their fingertips. And, you know, I'm mm-hmm. comparing 2016 to 2006, like it's astronomical changes. I can only imagine what it was like for, for Vermeil back in the eighties, trying to, you know, pick the brain of other strength coaches and find good books that are available and translating Soviet texts and things like that. So, um, you know, I think that side of things makes it a lot easier. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's just, uh, it's common sense. And, and it's in an industry where unfortunately common sense isn't that common. Um, sometimes you have to make mistakes and learn from them. And the people who don't make mistakes from them are the ones that don't ultimately wind up better, you know? Yeah. Well, that's a great, that's a great way to end this. And, um, you know, I'm going to leave the listeners wanting more. Uh, so maybe you'll have to come back and, and uh, join us again we'll sometime have, on the show. You have to get Pete on here, too. He's, he's always like a good kind of compliment. He's the, he's the yin to my yang, I guess you could say. Well, you know, if you saw my list of uh, people that I'm going to have on the show, Pete is right on there. So right, I will tell him right now. <laughs> yeah, you, You'll have to warn him a little bit. Oh, he'll be great. Uh, so where do we find out more about you? I know we can go to ericcressy.com. Um, where else do you want people to go? Uh, that's a good bet. And then also, if you ever want to check out our facility, it's cressysportsperformance.com. We also have an open invitation to folks, anyone that wants to ever observe at one of our facilities, whether it's Florida or Massachusetts. Doors are always open to come in, be a fly on the wall, see how we roll, and we, uh, we try to show you a good time. Do people just need to give you guys a call at one of the facilities uh, yeah, beforehand? Usually, you know, what's best, either Mass at Gmail or Florida at Gmail, and uh, we'll take good care of them. Awesome. Well, I encourage everybody to go check out uh, Eric's website. There's a ton of information on there. You can also get all of his products and learn more about him. Really great resource. Uh, and, of course, that's a great idea if you're ever in, uh, in the area to stop by. So, Eric, I appreciate it. Thanks for making an impact on us today and, uh, and sharing all of your experiences. No worries at all. Thanks again for having me. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to The Impact Show. We're glad you're joining us on this journey of making an impact on the people around you. Please visit us at jimkilbasso.com for more information and ideas to increase your impact. And of course, we hope you subscribe to our podcast to enjoy more tips, stories, and advice from our industry's leaders.